0: We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, DACE. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's PrepareWithCR.com. with CR.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. And greetings! Happy Thursday. Thanks for listening tonight to The Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace show, GOP consultant Matt McCovey actually to join us coming up later in this hour. Analyze how Team Trump is performing on the heels of uh, their first attempts to fulfill two of their bigly promises. Something I wrote about for Conservative Review earlier today in a piece that's pinned up on our Facebook wall. You can go check it out for yourself. We'll see if Matt agrees or disagrees uh, coming up a little bit later on in this hour. But uh, I want to begin with something I've been asked about numerous times in the last day or so. Uh, ever since the announcement of Neil Gorsuch uh, as Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee. And something Andy Schlafly from Eagle Forum uh, referenced uh, about uh, Gorsuch on this show, uh, one of the times we've had him on, maybe not the last time, perhaps the time before, uh, he called into question Judge Gorsuch's church affiliation. Now, I happen to think where someone goes to church is always fair game. Always. I thought it was fair game with... President Obama's uh, heretical pastor. I think it's fair game with me. I think it's fair game to know where someone chooses to devote their time uh, to an ideology and a theology being expressed that they are voluntarily submitting them, themselves to be exposed to. I wouldn't make it the sole source of my vetting process, but absolutely I would make it a source And there is a story about this in the Washington Post today. Now, I know they've had a bit of a run of fake news in a few sectors lately, but I've got to believe if there's one thing the Washington Post can be trusted on, it's to correctly identify for us liberalism when they see it. Can we at least stipulate to that? Do you, think, do you think the Washington Post, Todd, knows liberalism when it sees it? Will you second Aaron's, uh, Aaron's first of my stipulation? It doesn't even have to see it. It can just feel it. it. It's intrinsic, indeed. And so they do some liberal vetting of Judge Gorsuch's church. I want to share some of this with you. Neil Gorsuch would be the first Protestant appointed to the Supreme Court in a quarter, more than a quarter century, 1990. The last time a Protestant was selected was David Souter, also an Episcopalian, who was Ouch! Other than when Eisenhower said Earl Warren was the worst mistake he ever made. David Souter, the worst presidential judicial appointment by a Republican of all time. He was made by President George H.W. Bush in 1990. But was it a mistake? It was a colossal blunder. Was Mr. B- Mr. Sutter? Oh, you mean... On behalf of Bush? On behalf of... Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Gorsuch is also Episcopalian. He belongs to St. John's Episcopal Church in Boulder, Colorado. The Episcopal Diocese of Colorado confirmed this to the Washington Post. Church bulletins show that the judge has been an usher three times in recent months. His wife, Louise, Frank frequently leads the intercessory prayer and reads the weekly scripture at Sunday services. And his daughters assist in ceremonial duties during church services as acolytes. Religious groups of varying political persuasions expressed their opinions of Gorsuch's nomination this week. Liberal faith groups and non-theistic groups uh, tended to be critical. Many evangelical Christians uh, met the news of Gorsuch's nomination with glee, which would not seem to line up with Gorsuch's own theological alliance here. This mainline Protestant denomination includes great political diversity, meaning Episcopalians, among its two million members. Mike Orr, who is a spokesman for the Episcopal Church there in Boulder, Colorado, described Gorsuch's congregation, St. John's, as, quote, "...a congregation that does a lot of social justice and advocacy." It's a healthy and vibrant congregation. It's very diverse in its congregants as well as its ministry, unquote. Those words should have, if you believe in theological orthodoxy, you know what those words are code for. I mean, that should make your spider sense tingle. No question about that. The first word that St. John's uses to describe itself on its website and Facebook page is, quote, inclusive. The church is led by a female rector. That is a major no-no. In scripturally adhering to churches. Why? Because there are clearly defined roles for genders in the scriptures. That's not one of them for women. On its website, the church encourages members to write letters to Congress asking for actions addressing climate change. On gun control, Gorsuch is expected to favor the rights of gun owners, but his church, meanwhile, decided after 49 people were fatally shot Outside the Orlando nightclub last year, that it would ring its bells 49 times each Wednesday from July 6th to the presidential election as a way of asking members of Congress to pass, to pass stricter gun restrictions. Now, staff at St. John's declined to speak about Gorsuch for the Washington Post. One member who has ushered services with Gorsuch said she did not even know he was a judge. George Conger, a conservative Episcopal priest in Florida, proving that indeed there's always a remnant, said that that he wouldn't read too much into Gorsuch's own politics into the church he attends. It's the social parish in Boulder, Conger wrote in an email. There's not really a strong tie between the beliefs of a rector in a social parish and the beliefs of its members. The parish has people from across the theological spectrum, unquote. Should I translate what he means by this? What he means by this is, when he says it's a social parish, it is a church you belong to if you want to network into the right circles. That's what he means. It's a church you belong to if you want to network into the right circles. So it's not really a church. You could draw that conclusion, but that's what he means. And by the way, this was actually the the defense that Obama made about being a part of Reverend Wright's church hey I'm I'm black I'm in inner city Chicago I'm a community organizer this was the church to belong to socially for what I was into doesn't mean I necessarily bought into it that is the defense that Obama gave eight years ago or nine years ago now when this issue came up with him but that's essentially boulder is a trendy progressive community if you want to be seen as a as an upstanding front and center member of the community uh in in elite circles what congress is saying is you go to a church like this that's what he's saying but it should be noted that they're not just going to this church they are immersed in it i mean the wife's reading the intercessory prayer and the scriptures. The daughters are serving as acolytes. These aren't things you do to be a casual observer. A 2004 article in the Journal of Anglican and Episcopal History examined the Episcopal churches in Boulder. At the time, the writer described St. John's, and again, this is 11 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago now, described St. John's as, quote, the older and more traditional church building, but the more theologically and politically liberal of the two. St. John's, the article noted, was also the parish of six-year-old Jean Benet Ramsey, the beauty pageant contestant whose 1996 murder became an issue of national interest and still is officially unsolved. Gorsuch actually moved to Boulder 10 years later. He's been going to that church since 2006. I know you want to know my thoughts on this, because many of you have already asked me. Everything I just read to you should trouble you. It, there, are, there aren't any good reasons to belong to a church like this. There, there, there just aren't. I mean, just, there aren't. There are legitimate reasons. I don't know many people would say they are good. For example, if you are a conservative Jew, you're going to have a hard time in a lot of major metropolitan areas in this country finding a conservative synagogue, and yet you don't want to lose your you don't want to lose your heritage right you don't want to lose touch with your way of life with your religion. I had this conversation with a with a friend of mine today who is a very well-known conservative Jew. they said, "You know I, most places I go to in the country if because we were talking about this story, him and I were." He said, most places I would go to in the country that are major population centers, I'm going to struggle to find a conservative synagogue. There may not even be one at all. And a lot of times he goes, I have to go to temple in places that are liberal. It's just not a, that's just, there's no other tie, even loose affiliation to my heritage. And knowing Boulder's reputation, I mean, if you grew up Episcopalian, if it's the denominations you've always known, um... I would guess there's, you know, uh, he's a mainline Protestant. Doesn't mean he's a liberal. It just means he's not an evangelical. So if he's looking for a conservative mainline Protestant church to go to, there may not be a lot of options where that is concerned. And that's the church you grew up in, perhaps. You want to hold on to that legacy. That's a legit reason. It still doesn't mean you shouldn't be troubled by this. But there's more to the story here, I think, than just this information. And it's that I want to touch on when we come back.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace.
0: So, is it fair game to vet? Where the people that want to lead the country and make life and death decisions for us, is it fair to vet where they go to church? You bet your sweet bippy it is. In fact, I don't think you can do a complete vetting without considering it. But I also don't think you can only consider it. Now, let me use my own situation, which isn't totally analogous to this one. But the principle's kind of the same. So we go to a non-denominational evangelical church in suburban Des Moines. And this year, uh, this summer, it'll be 10 years since we joined this church. Uh, our church, if you look at its ecclesi- ecclesiology, eschatology, if you look at its theology, is basically a Southern Baptist church. And I'm on the preaching team. That being said, my views, I hate you know how I am loathe to apply theological labels. But for the sake of this conversation, I will do so in a very broad sense. And no, this is not an invitation for you to email me about the lynching your navel. I'll just delete it. I don't want to have those arguments. My own theology, most people would probably brand as somewhat reformed, which means I don't necessarily share all the views of my church on eschatology, ecclesiology, and even on a couple of secondary theological matters. I mean, if there was, if there was a main theological matter, I would not go to that church. So why do we go there? Why? Because um, our pastor there, Bob Deaver, is a great man of God, is a great moral model and a great leader. He's a great disciple maker. Two, the church has a has a passion for witnessing the gospel and discipling people uh, in the full counsel of God, and that to us and our family means more to us than total theological agreement. Now, I know that's not the same thing as. A judge that's going to make life and death decisions on God-given rights going to a church that specifically preaches against what we want him to uphold. I know that's not quite the same thing, but I, I bring this up in my own life to show people have other reasons why they go to churches. It's sometimes very complicated, and it's why you can't make this the only thing you look at, but by all means, it should be something to look at. But you have to also look at it in context. Neil Gorsuch, even though there is a glaring, gaping hole in his record where Roe v. Wade is concerned, there's not a glaring, gaping hole in his record on all the issues they just mentioned. There's not a glaring, gaping hole in his record on religious liberty. His record is spectacular. It's 100% from what I've seen. There's not a glaring, gaping hole in his record when it comes to Second Amendment rights. So we have seen him rule in cases contrary to what his church is 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 lobbying for from a leftist perspective. He has a record, not on everything. Like, there's one glaring omission, as I pointed out. But on virtually everything else, we have seen he has a record, guys. And he has been willing to put the convictions that we want him to uphold ahead of the dogma and propaganda being preached to him from his leftist church. That still doesn't answer a troubling question of why you would knowingly give your resources to things that are trying to undermine your values, right? But I know people who are extremely conservative who belong to denominations like the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, that have gone way liberal now, and and still belong to their ELCA congregation because it's conservative. And when I bring up, aren't you concerned that the money, that some of your tithe money is still going to that main denomination? Yes, but the overall work of this particular church is powerful enough in our lives that it means more to us. Okay. Meaning it's more complicated than a theological equation of two plus two equals four. People are more complicated beings than that. So yes, I would highlight this. Yes, I would share this amongst yourselves. File it away for future reference. But no, I would not make this a deal breaker because he's not a total blank slate. We have seen him rule on things we care about, and we've seen him do so the right way. And even though there's a glaring omission where Roe v. Wade is concerned, there won't be in his confirmation hearings. Because the left is going to put him on the record. That's why I'm not all worked up about it right now, like Andy Schlafly is. I respect his work, but I'm not all worked up about it right now because the left is going to answer this for us, guys. They're going to make him answer it. The time to get worked up is based on how he answers. That's when it's time to get worked up. And then you'll either applaud his answer, you'll have to do it to Jeff Sessions and say, well, the answer kind of sucked, but Jeff Sessions actually has a record, so I guess I'm, I'm going to trust he just said this to get through his confirmation. You know, unlike, he doesn't really have a record on this issue, though. So what, what he says about this is going to mean even more than what Robert said, because he has virtually no record on Roe at all. None. But that's the time to get worked up. And not, until, not a second before, because the left will put him on the record. Now, if you want to say, and I know Schlafly will probably try to lobby, uh, lob this kind of an effort. Hey, he should be taken off because it's too much unknown about him on Roe v. Wade and the church he goes to is troublesome. It's a free country. By all means, attempt to mount that effort. If I had to guess, it won't have enough support to, to Harriet Myers and be successful. But it also might get you some answers that you want, too. Nothing wrong with that. It's a free country. You're you're not bound and gagged to support whoever the Republicans throw up there, whoever your favorite conservative leaders throw up there. Now, for me personally, it's kind of hard for me after telling you for two weeks, I think Mike Lee would be the perfect judge. And then when Mike Lee goes out there and says he he knows Neil Gorsuch and thinks he's great, to then tell you, "Oh, Neil Gorsuch is a pile of poop. Well, Dace, didn't you tell us Mike Lee would be like the best Supreme Court justice? Well, never mind that. OK, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I'm you know, that's what happens when you take a stand. I got to be consistent with my stand. If I trusted Mike Lee to be on the Supreme Court, should I not trust him to make good decisions about who who else should not should and should not be? I would hope so. Otherwise, I made the wrong call. But 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 yes, you should consider this. But I also wouldn't I wouldn't under consider it. And I wouldn't overly consider it, Todd, since he is replacing
2: Scalia and he's compared to Scalia. We should talk briefly about Scalia in this regard. He was often asked about how his con- th- Catholicism, Catholicism informed his judicial decisions, and he would say, not at all. I-, I refer to the plain reading of the text, and that does not have to agree with my Catholicism. So here's what our best hope is, regarding, concerning, considering everything you said, that Gorsuch is just as geeky about textualism and originalism as— Scalia is, that he is all about the strict enumeration of powers, that quite frankly, that's his religion. I, th- there's no reason to believe the church he goes into that he's just is, is some th- shadow theological conservative. You know, might be hanging on because, you know, it's the church of his, you know, father and he respects that man. There could be any number of reasons, but I think our best hope is that he just is his, his religion is the Constitution. And he'll follow through on that every bit as well as Scalia did.
3: Yeah, and I I appreciate your um, your reminder that we shouldn't uh, not uh, consider this, but we um, you know we shouldn't. uh, I didn't say
0: not consider it. We should absolutely consider it. I would make it my sole consideration.
3: Yeah, I would consider it in light of his record. I'm I'm uh, I'm doing some double negatives here, but I appreciate that because it's a balanced. Uh, balanced way to look at that. Um, but at, at the same time, when as you were reading this and as I read this earlier this morning as well, just this feeling in, in the pit of my stomach, um, most people, it's safe to say, don't go to a church like that because it's some sort of, uh, legacy. Uh, most people don't go to a church like that because it's what um, you know. It's you know just kind of the one that's nearest to them. They they go to that for one reason or another. And I think you're absolutely right that even though those reasons might be legitimate, they're not always good. Uh, but at the same time, um, you're absolutely right. His his record is you know it speaks for itself on religious liberty, uh, and it doesn't speak at all on pro life. So it's again, it just needs to be a wait and see. Um, I'm not going to freak out about this yet. Don't forget about it, and
0: don't freak out about it. Don't do either one of them yet.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at SteveDace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace.
0: Earlier today, I wrote a piece for Conservative Review, which you can uh, see. It's pinned up at our Facebook wall. Taking a look at how Team Trump performed in their first attempts to live up to two of uh, his uh, bigly promises, uh, one on immigration, which was over the weekend, the other with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I think one of them uh, was dram- dramatically uh, better than the other, and uh, not necessarily in substance, but in in stagecraft, in style. To uh, get a second opinion on that, Matt McCoviak joins us now. He is a GOP consultant and a friend of mine. Matt, how are you, brother?
4: I'm doing great. How
0: You've got an interesting new podcast at the Washington Times as well. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I appreciate you asking. It's called uh, Mac on Politics, M A C K. Uh, we've got nine episodes done. Uh, most recent episode has Roger Stone talking about his 40 years of friendship with Trump, uh, and also Joe Trippi, the former campaign manager for Howard Dean. But we've got lots of other great interviews on the podcast Hugh Hewitt, Jeff Rowe, Bill Crystal, Eric Erickson. I can't even remember everybody. Gary Kasparov, the chess champion in Russian for Democracy. Activist. Uh, lots of good stuff on there. You can find it all uh, in the iTunes store, Mac on Politics, or of course on our website, you can find it as well, Mac on Politics.com.
0: And I've, I've been impressed with the diversity of your guests as well. So, I mean, you're getting a wide swath of. Opinion across the ideological spectrum, and uh, and that is a testimony to your relationships, Matt. Because it is not easy to get people, unless you know them personally, to cross the ideological divide. Either way, really, and and try to credibly engage the other side. There's just very little of that in our media today. So props to you for that.
4: Thank you. I appreciate that. That's really what I've wanted to do, and, and the Washington Times has been a great partner. You know, in this, um, <clears throat> they are they are striving to be the largest conservative newspaper in the country, and they're really heading in the right direction from from a, a web and a print standpoint. And But but really, I, I just want to have smart conversations where, where not only do I learn things, more people that tune in also learn things. So this isn't about just bringing on people that I agree with. It's for bringing on smart people. That's what I've really tried to do. And in fact, tonight I'm interviewing uh, former U.S. Ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, who's at Stanford University. You know, That's an example of someone that generally a conservative may not want to have a, a lot of agreement with, but Seems to me anybody that served as U.S. ambassador to Russia would have a lot that uh, that, that we can learn from. So that's what I've tried to do, and I'm going to keep on uh, keep on trucking.
0: Well, let's get to the news of the day. I want to begin with your thoughts on on the premise of the piece I wrote today for a conservative review, which is. Uh, Trump's first two attempts to truly touch the hot stove of Washington, uh, beyond just the use of the bully pulpit, but substantively changed the culture in Washington. We saw one with his immigration orders over the weekend. We saw another on Tuesday night with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court. And and I thought, and I came in here on Monday and said that uh, what happened over the weekend, you should treat it your first game. You got to self-scout, realize how the other team responded to your attempt to score, and figure out what you did right and what you did wrong. Because I thought they made several mistakes over the weekend that we talked about. And I think you saw on Tuesday that they learned from a lot of those mistakes. Uh, the stagecraft Tuesday was far and away superior to what we saw over the weekend. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, Steve, I mean, I, I agree with that premise. You know, I think that it's clear that, that this White House is learning. And, and you know, at, at some level, you kind of want uh, anyone, any mature, rational adult to be learning. But But organizations have to learn, too, and this is an organization that you know, has merged some, some different personalities, some people with different types of experiences. It merged kind of the campaign team and the RNC team with some, some new individuals that Trump has known in terms of the uh, people he selected for the cabinet, you know, business leaders that have been very successful. Um, and it's pretty clear to me that on the on the executive order related to refugees and travel, uh, that, that that just wasn't a fully thought thought out, well-executed, well-planned uh, effort. And I think they, they paid that... That price over the weekend with the the cable news coverage and and I think the kind of generated story of, of hysteria. Which I think was overblown, but but was certainly was happening. I mean, they should have exempted visa holders. They should have exempted green hard card holders. They should have exempted those in transit. They should have coordinated with the agencies better. Uh, there's a lot they should have done. I think they learned some hard lessons there. But but it's clear that as it relates to the Supreme Court, it wasn't just that they learned because honestly, there was only a few days in between, and the Supreme Court plan had been in development for for weeks, if not months but but i think they are learning i mean i think that that they are going to be a little bit more methodical i think they're going to you know make sure that they work closely with allies um, I think they're going to have much more, you know, uh, well-developed communications plans. You know, as you look at the Supreme Court thing, they've got allies out there, they've got surrogates, they've got talking points, they've got his background, they've, 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 done, they've done a lot of things. And of course, the rollout itself on that night, with 33 million people tuned in, and Trump uh, appearing presidential, those, those were all very positive things, and that's why they're in the strong position they're in, as it relates to this Supreme Court nominee.
0: Matt Makowiak, GOP consultant, is our guest here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. More with Matt here in a moment.
1: Listening to Steve Dace, the application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace.
0: All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review, talking with GOP consultant Matt Can You can check out his new political podcast via The Washington Times. That's MacOnPolitics.com, is that correct, Matt? That's right. Thank you. M-A-C-K, MacOnPolitics.com. So last night, we get stories. Uh, AP reports Trump threatened the Mexican president with U.S. troops, CNN uh, countered that reporting within an hour. That's not accurate. Uh, we had reports last night that he badgered and yelled at the Prime Minister of Australia. What? How much of this do we know is actually true, and what does it mean either way?
4: Boy, that's a good question. <clears throat> you know, I think there is such a rush in the White House press corps and the national media, you know, to be to be the star of the cycle that takes Trump down. Right? Everybody wants to take Trump down. Everybody wants to be the, the Woodward and Bernstein that leads to his impeachment. And so they're they're all just outdoing themselves. Who can be first? Let me take something that's not even nailed down and put it on Twitter and see what happens. And if it seems solid, then I'll report it. I mean, it's, it's just... There's an incredible rush, an incredible desire for accountability that I saw was non-existent for eight years. And so, I, you know, I think what's happening is, in a way, the media is doubling down on everything that failed the campaign. You know, they tried to create controversies. They tried to attack him. They said he was racist. They said he was anti-woman. And it was pretty clear that the more they did that, the, the, the stronger and more intense his support was. And so I think, in a way, they're doing that all over again. You know, the, the, the media and the Democrats are partnering here. They want Trump to be seen as a failure no matter what. Doesn't matter what he does. Didn't, doesn't matter which judge he nominated. They were against him. Doesn't matter what he does. Now, I don't think that's sustainable, because you've got 25 Democrats in the Senate up for re-election in, in 22 months, 10 of whom are running from states that Trump won two months ago, and four of which are running from states he won with 56%. That, that is, that, you know, there is a political reality ticking ticking time bomb there for them that they're going to have to deal with. So uh, what it means, Steve, I think, is that we all have to be much more discerning um, and thoughtful as we we consume media. You know, don't just buy a headline uh, when you see it. Click the story, see what the sourcing is, see what other people are reporting. You know, I still think there are good reporters out there. I'd point to someone like Jake Tapper at CNN as someone who I think is, is honest and fair. I think Chuck Todd at NBC News is honest and fair. You know, there's a lot of good people out there. Brett Barrett, Fox News, you know, his his special report hour is the best hour of news on television, period, and of sentence. Um, so there's, there's good work that's being done out there, but there's a lot of bad journalism that's being done out there, and they're all just trying to take Trump down. And so... I think in a way, I think they're speaking to themselves. I don't think that they're that they're building a coalition of people that are opposing Trump. If anything, all they're doing is hurting the credibility that the media has writ large with the country, and I think that's even that is not healthy
0: I find myself you know when i when I see this and then the you know the the, the resist banner at the website by Greenpeace, the antics last night, uh, really the riot last night, not antics riot at berkeley and i'm I'm asking myself who Is the voter in Wisconsin and Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania that is watching what you and I are talking about and thinks you know I made a mistake voting for Donald Trump in November and and I and I and I and I I regret that decision because draw me a composite of who that voter is, Matt, Mm -hmm. because I cannot imagine them. Who is it?
4: That's a good question. Uh, You know, um, look, I I think I think we overestimate the the the. the, the level of engagement that the average voter has with with real news with what's what's, what's tell with, what what's, yeah. tell
0: me about it tell me about it right yes. so
4: like, like, we we kind of expect what well, we pay attention so other people must too. I don't think that's the case. I think they watch cable news in an airport on mute and they walk by and see a headline. I think that's what really happened uh I don't think people read newspapers they sure as hell don't read stories they may read you know they may look at the front page so so again, so I think that's part of the strategy here for the Democrats and the media working together, and that is. That they want to, they want to just create this this environment where Trump's where it looks like Trump's failing. It's it's chaos, you know. It wasn't chaos when 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 Obama was issuing executive orders or or limiting refugees coming from Iraq for six months, but it's chaos when when Trump uses the same list of seven countries that Obama and Congress overwhelmingly approved not two years ago. Uh, you know, so so that that to me, I think is really what I'm watching. Is you know, what are they trying to do? They're they're going. Part of why I think Trump is succeeding right now is it's not just that he's doing what he said he'd do, but it's also that the Democrats are are swinging at every pitch, Mm -hmm. right? And you can't do that. You can't hit a home run by swinging at every pitch. You can't win at blackjack in Las Vegas by by max betting every bet. You wait till the odds are in your favor, and that's when you put a max bet down. That's when you take a big swing and try to hit a home run. And and the Democrats aren't doing that now. They're fighting Betsy DeVos. They're fighting Scott Pruitt. They're going to try to, you know, there's already talk of impeachment. I mean, they're doing, they're trying to take down this Supreme Court justice. I mean, they're going to try to do 18 things at once, and they're going to end up failing at all of them, as far as I can tell. Uh, but, but look, I think there probably was some soft Trump support out there. I do think that's probably the case. There's probably three or five percent. Oh, of Trump I think voters. there's
0: all kinds of soft Trump support. I just don't think this is how you, uh, how you make it softer. I, I think this is, listen, let's just keep it real, man. I grew up in the Midwest. I've been around a lot of middle-aged, I'm a middle-aged white guy. All right. A lot of middle-aged, older white folks who voted for Obama four, eight years ago voted for Trump November. Uh, in November i can 't imagine one of them in the Midwest who got up and watched what happened last night at Berkeley and thought, You know what that's a, that 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 just proves to me I was wrong to make the vote i'm i 'm still unsure about in November. I think it makes the exact opposite impact
4: actually no, that 's exactly right and I really kind of see and I know anytime you compare anybody to Nixon, everybody thinks you're you're comparing it from an ethics standpoint i 'm not I really do see a very similar a sort of a silent majority that's that, that's being created. And in fact, a lot of the issues are the same. A lot of the, the angst that's on the left is the same. It's a lot over a lot of the same issues, and it's being marshaled by a lot of the same forces that it was even back then. Uh, and I do think there's a silent majority. I think people look and see, you know, you know, protests against police officers. They see these ridiculous anti-free speech riots on college campuses. They see all these activities. And they think, that's not me. That's not normal. That's not normal behavior. Uh, we, we know protest is, is in the is in the you know the best traditions of America but but lighting things on fire because you don't want someone to speak on a college campus is not in the best traditions of America and so I, I look I think fundamentally Steve where this comes down is the people that voted for Trump that they gave him the, the, the you know the the popular vote at loss but the electoral college victory um, are going to render a judgment in six or nine months and they're gonna say did Trump make my life better mm-hmm. right either, the answer is either yes or no and it's going to be based on whether wages rise jobs rise created foreign policy was stronger the country was safer it's those core questions and they're either going to be able to answer yes or no and we'll have to see what happens six nine twelve months from now
0: gop consultant matt mccovy check him out mac on thank you matt my pleasure take care take care we'll have some reaction here in a moment
1: you're listening to steve dace reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Day.
0: Get some reaction to what we just heard from GOP consultant Matt Makowiak, politically analyzing not just what we've seen from Team Trump thus far, but also what we're currently seeing from the left in the media, but I repeat myself.
3: So, Aaron, what did Matt say that stood out to you? Towards the end, he said that the left is going to try 18 different things at once. And by all accounts, uh, his included, they're going to fail at all of them. I think remembering that is pretty good advice for Team Trump right now um, and, and really for anybody uh, that tries to deal and take on a left, whether it's in your own backyard or whether it's at the state level or at the federal level. Uh, People are always going to have bluster. People are always going to talk a big game. But if you're not the ones that are really in the positions of power, which they are not right now, the left at the federal level, um, they are not the ones that are able to call the shots. Just let them have their tantrum. Just wait them out because they aren't going to be able to, I mean, they don't have the power enough if you play your cards right to really contradict anything that you do. So yeah, they're they're going to talk a big game, but just wait them out, be patient, and uh, don't fall for all of their bluffs.
2: In terms of the press's tantrums, I generally agree with that. But then when we segue into the Berkeley tantrums, yeah. you know... <laughs> When, I have a wife. I have four daughters. Uh, when do these things just not invade college campuses? You know, they are not when it's already happening. When does it invade mine, my space? When does it enter my church? When does it enter my neighborhood? You know, the uh, we are getting to the point like where, we saw in the Illinois primary outside
0: of yeah, a Trump rally is what you know. you're talking about. I mean.
2: The, 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 of course, we're talking about uh, sp- wanting to allow all speech, but it's their version of speech that is yelling yeah, fire not, in a crowded a theater. That's exactly. A riot. That's criminal activity. Yes. And as far as last time I checked, that could have changed now. I, there has had been
0: zero arrests earlier in the and, day. And that's your issue. I mean, you want to peacefully, mark down, peacefully march down the street, call Milo, whatever his name is, any name you want, so be it. That was a destruction of public and private property. That was assault. That was a riot. And that's the answer. It goes to what I said yesterday, Todd. You do not lose your country because there are people like this. You lose your country because there are people who in power won't stand up to them. And so when in our culture you have zero arrests for something
2: like this, But you have sweet cakes by Melissa and the florist getting shut down and put in jail and have taken their assets. Again, I I don't use the term glibly. We're in the middle of a civil war, and you cannot just dismiss this. The snowflake comments on Twitter are cute. But this is a real battle that we have no choice but to engage and win beyond mere rhetoric.
0: I agree. I agree, and, and a lot of people in our audience agree with you. That's why they voted for Trump. They thought he'd be a person of action. He'd be imperfect, but at least he would do something. That's what a lot of those people thought. Hour two is next.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace.
0: And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, at Steve Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, did you hear about the question Tom Brady got at the Super Bowl this week? No, not that one. Uh, the other one that's far more important than how dare you be friends with the president of the United States. This is an actual question, and it got an answer that we're not accustomed to hearing that often in today's culture. We're going to talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But yesterday, uh, in a clip I've gotten a lot of reaction to, I was asked to appear on CNN opposite a Democratic Party strategist talking about the appointment of Neil Gorsuch and the confirmation fight to come. I thought we'd let you listen to that audio, and then Team Dace is going to critique me when it's done.
5: Let's talk this over with Keith Boykins, CNN political commentator and Democratic strategist, and Steve Dace, a conservative syndicated radio talk show host. Gentlemen, good to have both of you on. Good to be here. Um, Keith, let me begin with you. You, you just heard, you heard Senator Blumenthal. I mean, is it worth the fight for Democrats to go all out, You know, this one seat would not change the balance of power.
6: I think, Brooke, it's the principle that matters here. Uh it was a year ago this month when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to be a Supreme Court justice. The Republican Party before the nomination was even announced decided they were going to block his nomination. And for the past 350 days or so, the Republicans refused to even hold hearings. They refused to even meet with President Obama's nominee. The idea that Donald Trump then would come in office after losing the popular vote, and then suddenly the Republicans decide they want to expedite the process for a Supreme Court uh, nominee—I I, I just think that that's unprecedented, and it's rewarding the Republican Party's obstruction. And the Democrats should not do that.
5: Steve, would you respond to that?
6: Well, I think the American people already rewarded the Republican Party's obstruction
0: in November. I think if they wanted Merrick Garland on the U.S. Supreme Court, they would have elected Hillary Clinton, but they did not. So they wanted Donald Trump to make those nominations instead. In fact, Brooke, when you look at the exit polling, the number two issue in 2016 were judicial appointments. It ranked behind only the economy. Trump won those voters by 15 points. So I think this is following perfectly in line with what the people wanted in November.
5: Listen, the I think minority that, of people I, who
0: voted for him.
5: Keith I, Keith, I think that I hear you on the whole, they're ticked off about the Merrick Garland thing. They have a very fired-up base but then you also had as we just pointed out these ten you know democratic senators in these you know trump states where they're up for for battle in two years and if you're one of these democratic senators what would you do?
6: Well, Brooke, I think the thing that gets ignored a lot of times when we talk about these issues for Democratic uh, senators and members of Congress is that the base of Democrats are more likely and more enthusiastic about supporting Democrats who stand up for Democratic values. Democrats who are sort of milk toast in the middle of the road don't get the enthusiastic support that other Democrats do if they know, if you have somebody who's going to fight for you as opposed to somebody who's going to give up and, and abandon ship every time there's a little bit of a, of a controversy democrats will support the person who will fight for them and i think there's a reward for those democratic senators who decide to stand up and do the right thing and not to reward the republican party's obstruction of merrick garland okay
5: uh, Steve, we've talked before and i have memory serves you weren't exactly the biggest trump fan but you know with with all mm-hmm. of this in the bloodstream do you think that this will further unite the republican party i
0: don't think there's any question about it you know i have to kind of smile democrats mm-hmm. do this very well this is brooke this is all peace theater. This is all political theater. They don't have the political capital to fight this. This is is really a warm-up for what's to come. The real fight will be when Ginsburg and or Kennedy retire, because that's your fifth vote Against Roe, potentially that will be the real fight. Neil Gorsuch is going to have a fake fight and will ultimately be confirmed, I predict, and it won't require a nuclear option. For goodness sakes, Brooke, Obama's former solicitor general endorsed him. I saw yesterday a very well-known leftist television personality. She called him, quote, mainstream, and that actually has me rethinking my own thoughts of Neil Gorsuch. For goodness (laughs) sakes.
6: Well, let me just say this: I went to law school with Neil Gorsuch. I, I don't think he's mainstream. I think he's a very conservative analyst. Has shown that he'd be more conservative than Antonin Scalia would 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 have has been. Does that make you feel better? Steve? Um, and, and be still and, and my I beating heart, Brooke. Be still my beating heart. Yes. Well, and maybe, and maybe that's good for you, Steve, but I don't think that's what the American people, the majority of the American people who voted against Donald Trump, I don't think that's what they wanted. And I think it's still unfair. It may unfair not be with the majority in it's, California it's, it's, that voted it, against Donald Trump. Well, Lawrence, it, so it, I no, don't, don't get into the conspiracy theories. It's still unfair that the Republicans are crying crocodile tears. People <laughs> like jo, John McCain and Ted Cruz, who did everything they could to, obst- and Mitch McConnell, who did everything they could to obstruct President Obama's lawful nationality. Nomination, and now suddenly they're upset that the Democrats simply want to to hold them accountable and hold them to the same standard they did for for Merrick Garland. This cannot continue this way, and the Republican Party has an obligation to try to to present a compromise candidate. Donald Trump, who lost the majority of the vote, should have presented a compromise candidate, not some conservative ideologue.
0: So that was my appearance yesterday on CNN. I had people actually do the math of how much I talk compared to the other guy. And you guys know I've done this enough. I, I, I'm not above in, uh, interjecting myself into the conversation when I think I'm being shortchanged. I just thought he was actually doing our side a favor by what he was saying. So I, for the most part, I just kind of let him say it. I mean,
3: yeah, because what you were saying, obviously, were uh, conspiracy theories. And yes, he didn't the Electoral want to get into
0: College that. is yeah. a conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's the one thing I regret. I wish I would have thrown that in. You're right, because the Electoral College is a conspiracy <laughs> theory. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on uh, my appearance yesterday on CNN, Todd?
2: Well, uh, he's right, in a manner of speaking, about uh, the Merrick Garland issue, how he led off. Uh, the Republicans absolutely, whether Masterpiece Theater or not, should look forward to this being a fight a fight that we've gotten used to uh, a nasty petulant one um, and our answer hopefully won't just be obstruction 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 you know th- this is the game now it's sad it's pathetic it's not supposed to work with it I, I-, I just hope we bring our a, a-, a game we uh, we win the philosophical bite and uh, bite, and instead of complaining about obstruction if it comes down to it I hope we just got that nuclear option say okay fine let's do it this way uh, just get her done
3: yeah this is again this guy's a democrat strategist and so why would you expect him to say anything other than just democrat talking points i wouldn't yeah, yeah. This um yeah, I um, that's a, a false uh, t- t- objection or whatever, but um this is um uh, just more of the same. This is all just playing to the base. This is all again, you are absolutely right. This is all just masterpiece theta what the Democrats do so well, they make every uh, every issue into uh, them being the victims or the uh, Americans being the victims of this of the evil big bad Republicans. And that's all you heard right here. This is uh, you know, against what the majority of Americans uh, who voted uh this is against what they want this is all just um again just an effort to rile up their vase, base and it's uh it's just it's, it's a crock
0: you wonder who responds to this other than your own base and right now and, and let's put ourselves in their shoes that is their number one priority right now they did, they just came out of an election that everybody on both sides except for a few kool-aid drinkers but i mean trump himself i mean I'll, i remember sitting there on election night as we were getting ready to come into work and i'm watching some of the late uh, news as the polls are starting to close and i'm watching my buddy kellyanne conway on msnbc blaming the rnc for not sharing their data. i'm like Well, uh, that is classic news. That's this is going to be a tough night. In fact, I think I told you guys that as soon as we got in that night, I'm like, hey, I just saw Kellyanne already blaming the RNC for for the get out the vote effort. So that's indicative of what their actual data shows. And they want to get out ahead of the story of what, uh, you know, that Trump lost tomorrow. So, I mean, almost nobody except absolute true Trump believers, because they just wanted to believe, Mm -hmm. thought that there was an objective criteria that he could get to 270. And and so when your side loses something that they thought was in the bag, particularly to a person that they went out of their way to hand the nomination to because they thought it was the easiest person they could beat, who had the worst debate performance ever in a presidential debate, in that very first debate that's the most watched. In fact, the more I lay this out, I kind of feel bad for him in a way. Is he president, actually? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can see why they think they have to rebuild their base back up. And the protests that we saw after the election, like what we saw last night in Berkeley, I hate to say it, but that is is a core of the Democratic base. Now, it is not the base as a whole. We saw Trump win a lot of those people over in this last election. It's how he won Wisconsin. It's how he won Pennsylvania. It's how he won Michigan. And those are the people, as I'm listening to this, I'm wondering to myself, how many of them that crossed over to vote for Trump with this messaging are thinking, Todd, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm going back Democrat again in 2018 or 2020. Because I would imagine not many. I think the people who are who's, who in their base that they lost, who this messaging or I'm thinking the people in their base who this messaging appeals to, they can't lose those people. This is not the, this is not the messaging they're looking for.
2: No and how big of a crowd is that? I mean the, 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 there isn't some huge um, majority in the middle anymore. We talked about that on the show. There is the right and the left, and rarely do the Twain meet.
0: More in a moment. Listening
1: to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace.
0: So, did you hear about that question Tom Brady got asked at the Super Bowl? No, not that one. How dare you be president with the United States? How dare you be friends with the president of the United States? Not that question. But uh, one of the issues that uh, came up this week that has not gotten nearly the media attention, but uh, frankly is far more important is uh, Tom Brady talking about uh, his dad and ha- how the role his dad played in the success he had. A, I know Tom's story very well because I'm a lifelong Michigan fan. Skinny kid, kind of a throw into a recruiting class. Started about fifth string at Michigan. Uh, ended up beating out a lot of higher-recruited kids to become a star quarterback. I think there were what 20 quarterbacks or something selected before him in the the 2000 draft he was picked in the 6th round which is the next to last round nobody thought he had any chance to unseat Drew Bledsoe who was our Pro Bowl quarterback and now he might be the GOAT the greatest of all time and Brady was talking this week about the role his dad played in his life that pivotal role Dr. Meg Meeker wrote a book about this several years ago Strong Fathers Strong Daughters she's also got a new book coming out this spring called Hero Being the Strong Father Your Children Need I'm sure we'll have her Back when that book comes out here in a few months. But Meg, it's good to have you back on the show tonight. How are you?
7: I'm well. Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: So, when we hear somebody credit their dad, we don't hear that a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, all my life it's been, hi, mom, and that's great. I was born to a single mom. She had me at 15. I'm a mama's boy. I understand that. But it is refreshing to hear somebody credit their dad for once, isn't it?
7: You know, it really is. And, you know, as a pediatrician, I've seen thousands of kids grow up. I've been at this 30 years. And you know, one of the most important, one of the most important people in a child's life that we have sort of, in a very calculated fashion in America, sort of demeaned and thrown into orbit are the fathers. And it's really important for us to uh, focus on fathers and how important they are in their children's lives. Um, what the research is saying about the importance of fathers, and really kind of come under fathers and sort of change the way they've been branded, if you will, because. Fathers have been branded as sort of the idiot to a snarky 11-year-old child needs to teach a thing or two, and we've really got to start pushing back against that because, A, we have a national crisis in our hands where we have fatherlessness you know, all over America, and B, fathers are crucial in the healthy development of children, whether they're 2 or 12 or 22, and that we really need to start paying attention to dads again.
0: You know, I see it with my own kids. My oldest is going to be 16 in a couple of weeks. My youngest is going to be 10 in a couple of weeks. And our youngest daughter, who I refuse to call a middle child, uh, she's going to turn 12 in July. And, you know, it's amazing. We homeschool, so they're very reliant on their mom. Their mom's their teacher. They're used to being around her all the time. And And there's a level of affirmation that they can only get from her that is vitally important to them. I'm much more aware being a dad how much of that a- affirmation and guidance that I can only give them that they seek out from me and as someone who was originally born to a single mom I wonder how does how could you replace that that's got to be an extraordinary uh mission to try and, and and do both of those tasks at the same time because my wife and I will tell you just trying to do one of them at a time is extraordinarily difficult.
7: Yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, you know, in an age when we're trying to um, sort of neutralize uh, masculinity and femininity and say it really doesn't matter whether it's mom or dad or as long as they've got two parents, three parents, a couple of adults in their lives, kids are, kids are well. But you know from going up with a single mother that your mother was probably larger than life in your, in your eyes, and that's wonderful. You can have a great mom. But there's still a hole. There's still that questioning, that deep what if, where is he, you know, what could he have given me, and what a father gives to a child is uniquely different than what a mother gives to a child. One's not better or worse, but there, we, we need to acknowledge that a dad brings an authority into a child's life, and when a child feels a stamp of approval, if you will, or affirmation from a, fa- from a father, it's very different than the affirmation they feel from a mother. Um, you know, in a child's eyes, and again, I, my job is to try to help parents see who they are through their children's eyes, not just through another adult's eyes. A child sees a mother as the person who has to love them. Mom's the, the safe place. Mom is the one who, who, you know, sort of gives you an emotional language and, and teaches you and coaches you and is always there. But a father, from a child's perspective, a, ch- a father's love Feels a bit more negotiable. You know, in a, in a child's mind, dad doesn't have to love me, but boy, when he chooses to and he expresses it it, it, it changes who I am. And I grew up with a father and a mother, both very strong people, and I adored them both. Um, but when my father told me I could do something, I knew that I knew that I could. When my mother told me I could do something, Part of me said, yeah, right, I know you love me, you're biased, moms have to say that. But when a father brings that child, it almost it carries a weight and an authority that, that a child feels that that isn't there when a mother brings it. And this is extremely important for us to acknowledge, and for fathers who feel uh, less than important in their homes, it's extremely important for them to understand.
0: That's an interesting point you just made, because our teenager does this a lot. She'll ask me, does this look good on me? Am I doing this the right way? And I'll say, yeah, I'll say, yeah. if I think it does. I'll say no if I think it doesn't. Exactly. And, 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 and when I say, yeah, she'll go, are you sure? I say, why do you ask me that? I say, if you don't believe me, go ask your mom. She says, well, she has to be nice to me. She'll tell me it looks good. I know you'll tell me the truth. And I've, I've kind of almost been insulted when I've heard that, almost to mean like, so I'm known for not necessarily being nice. But now that you put it into that context, I understand that a little bit more.
7: Absolutely. Because when you say, yes, you can, your daughter knows that she can. When mom says, yes, you can, and you look nice, your daughter kind of shrugs her shoulders and go, well, okay, maybe, because that's the answer she expects. Because, again, a mother has to tell their kids they love them. They have to tell. This isn't a child's perspective. They have to say you look good, because in a child's eyes, if your mom doesn't believe in you, then who in the world are you? Hmm. You know, your mom's the lowest rung. Mothers have to love their children, but not so with fathers. But that's so cool for you to know, Steve, because now you know your daughter looks to you for truth, to tell her that you know the truth, but when you affirm her, it's sinks to the deepest part of who she is and she knows it's real and That's that's power
0: one more point i want us to make before we run out of time i got about a minute here meg if you don't if dad if you don't provide this to your children they will go find other places to get it and you may not like those sources i think that's something that should be notified or should be recognized as well
7: absolutely when a daughter's a teenager um if she doesn't get Affection and affirmation from her father, she ends up in the backseat of some pimply-faced guy's car. If a son doesn't get affirmation from his father, he will look for it for the rest of his life, even into his 50s and 60s, trying to prove to himself that he is worth what he believes his dad should think he's worth so it it, you know kids take one person to their grave their dad I've, I've always said that about daughters they take their father to the grave they either want a little more time or they want a little more healing I believe that sons do the same thing they have questions they need answered from that man who's larger than life in their in their eyes and every father out there needs to understand the power he has in his son and his daughter's lives
0: Dr. Meg Meeker, look for her new book, Hero Being the Strong Father Your Children Need, coming this spring. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Steve. Speaking of books, one of the more important ones I've seen so far in 2017 is about the most prolific serial killer in American history. We will profile this book next.
1: Listening to Steve Dace, a declaration of dependence on the laws of nature and nature's God. This is Steve Dace.
0: All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. The name of the book is Gosnell, the Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. Soon to be a major motion picture. Phelim MacAuley is one of the co-authors of this book, and he joins us now. Phelan, my name is Steve Dace, and thank you very much for the work you did in this book and for joining us tonight.
8: Oh, thanks, Steve. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and well, it was a privilege to write the book. It's always always great to tell the truth uh and get it out
0: there back in 2013 then i wrote the second most read column of the year at usa today defending duck dynasty against political correctness Mm -hmm. and i know it was the second most read column because (laughs) i wanted to find out what i who who finished ahead of me the number one most read column that year uh, mm-hmm. was a column written um, by um, a Fox News contributor uh, who's a pro-life Democrat who was, who was excoriating the media for ignoring the Kermit Gosnell story. That was yeah. the number one red column at USA Today in 2013. Uh, and I think that just goes to indicate the level of cover-up that went into ignoring this tale that you tell in this book, Phelan.
8: Yeah. Yeah, the media refused to cover this story. This is America's most prolific serial killer, uh, who who also happens to be an abortion doctor. And the media just decided, we don't want to cover anything that shines a a negative spotlight on abortion. So uh, they didn't send the reporters along through this wonderful crime story, this massive crime story, uh, until Kirsten Powers, uh, your colleague in USA Today, and and really a a right-wing, you know, center-right bloggers, uh, Twitterers, just people who, who just couldn't take it anymore started this massive shaming campaign and uh, shamed the mainstream media into covering uh, the Gosnell case. I mean, this this backlash against the media didn't start with Donald Trump. The media have been earning this backlash for years, and I think it's finally come home to roost. People, We have a whole chapter in the Gosnell book, uh, which people can get at Gosnellbook.com. We have a whole chapter in the book about media malpractice. Uh, you could almost write the book about it, but you know there's so much more to this thousand story. Uh, but the media malpractice is a big thing, and it didn't work.
0: You're no stranger to uh, investigative journalism exposes. I mean, you have a long career in that regard. What what yeah. attracted you to this particular story?
8: You know, uh, uh, Providence. You know, uh, um, I, I made a documentary about fracking, and I was in Philadelphia promoting my fracking documentary, and I had a couple of days off. And being a journalist with a couple of days off, I don't go to museums or uh, things like that. I go to courtrooms to look at trials, see what interesting stories are happening uh, in in the town. And uh, I walked into the Kermit Gosnell case, and I heard the most amazing evidence I've ever heard in my life. I saw the most shocking photograph, and I saw even more shocking was the empty courtroom. And I remember coming back to Los Angeles and telling my wife, We've got, this is our next story, we're doing this. And uh, she said, we're not doing that, we don't touch abortion. Uh, so I ordered up the transcripts, and her and my colleague Magdalena Stigeta, they read the transcripts, and we all looked at each other and said, this is our story, this has to be told. And uh, you know, this is, what, this, is what, this is why we became journalists, to tell the stories others won't tell, to give voices to voiceless people. These babies who Gosnell murdered uh, lived for seconds, minutes, maybe an hour. Uh, But they had important lives. They've they've changed people's lives. Uh, They may change the country. They may change uh, legislation in this world. They, They are important, and their voices need to be heard.
0: A lot of people in our audience, Phelim, are aware of the story. They're informed. They read sites like Life News, Life Site News, etc. Mm-hmm. Every night when the trial was going on, I was reading excerpts from the testimony, all the grisly details to our audience. Mm-hmm. I've written numerous columns about it. There's a whole um, there, there's a whole uh, homage to Gosnell, for lack of a better term, in my most recent book, A Nefarious Plot, which is written by a demon general from hell. He he basically sings a lullaby to Gosnell. So yeah. my, my audience is very familiar. With this, but what is when you guys really dug into this story without giving mm-hmm. away the book? Can you give us one thing, one nugget that even if you were informed on what on what transpired here, that that you would be shocked to learn?
8: Um, well, I mean, Gosnell thinks he's innocent. Gosnell thinks he's going to get out. Gosnell's going to be vindicated by history. Uh, another thing: Gosnell uh, believes the Bible justifies his evil deeds. Mm. Uh, and in the back of, uh, of the book, we he, he writes to us all the time, he phones us all the time from prison. Uh, he sent us a list of Bible scripture, Bible passages, uh, justifying abortion, justifying his deeds. And beside them, he explains how that justifies his act.
0: Serial killer, soon to be a major motion
3: picture. More with him in a moment. All right, coming back into the next segment. Phelan, you were talking, you know, doing another reset. Phelan. Listening to
1: Steve Dace Selling Out Isn't a Virtue. This is Steve Dace.
0: Back here on the Steve Day Show with Phelan McAleer, the co author of the new book, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. Before we went to the break, Phelan, you were talking about some things that might even shock uh, learned uh, listeners uh, when it comes to this story in our audience. What else should they know?
8: Gosnell's a creepy guy, but he's a plausible guy. Uh, myself and my wife went to visit him in prison to interview him. He kept touching my wife's knee. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a creepy guy. He's a charismatic guy. He's a classic serial killer. Very interesting, too. He's a classic serial killer. He kept trophies. Uh, he took photographs of his victims. He, he cut babies' feet off and kept them in jars and put labels on them. So there's a lot in this book. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a, a life story, but it's also a crime story. If you're interested in justice and, and some good cop stories, there's a hero cop in it. Actually, that's something that you're... That your listeners might know, this started off as a drug kid, not as a murder kid. I was going to ask and you about
0: hero- that. They they did not go there because he was violating the state's twenty three week or whatever it was abortion law. They went there because they thought he was running a drug mill, right?
8: Yeah, and and they knew he was violating the abortion law, but the, the word went out: we're not getting involved. We're not going to intervene on anything like that because it's a it's a sacred cow. Uh, it was just it was a drug guy, who said. There's something not right here, and it's more than drugs. And, he, then, and then he interviewed members of staff, found out a woman had died, looked for the police report, no police report, but a woman died uh, inexplicably. He thought there was something as rotten here and went in and then realized that. Now, he, he had a lot of blowback blow against him because he was a narcotics cop. What's he doing investigating homicide? You know, they're very territorial, these cops and prosecutors. And uh, he, 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 he fought through because, you know, he, he, he's, he's a professional. He's also spiritual, uh, the cop, Jim Wood from Philadelphia. You know, uh, there's a lot of panty cop material out there, but you know what? I'm glad there's people like Jim Wood out there, let me tell you.
0: When you see stories of men who are uh, clowns at kids' parties who keep to themselves, Mm -hmm. and they're uh, nondescript, unknown, under the radar. And then one day, there's a tip in suspicion, you start digging up John Wayne Gacy's yard, and there's Mm -hmm. bones of kids going back years, and we're all shocked. But in this case, this man's in a regulated, heavily regulated profession. How is it possible, then, Phelan, that this went on for 30 years?
8: He's in a heavily regulated profession, in one of the most heavily regulated states in the Union. Uh... Because the regulations are just paper regulations. Uh, when you've got states like that no one no one wants to enforce the regulations. The big assist uh, in this was from a Republican governor, a so called moderate Republican Tom governor. Ridge. Tom Ridge. Yep. Yeah. He was elected on a pro life or a pro choice platform and told bureaucrats I know the law says the clinic has to be inspected annually, but we're ignoring that and the bureaucrats says fine, that's great, less work for us.
0: I may be taking you in a place you're not comfortable, so if I am, tell me. But <laughs> But I'm heavily involved in pro-life activism in my own state, and I've been involved around the country. The March for Life is this weekend. Mm-hmm. One of the big tactical debates we have within the pro-life movement is whether the battle is to determine, to define that human life begins a conception, or is it to try and regulate abortion out of business? Now, mm-hmm. I will tell you, my bias is the former, because I, I just don't understand how do you enforce these regulations. And I've been saying this since the Gosnell, since before the Gosnell case. I mean, if mm-hmm. if someone takes money to kill children for a living, what, what, it's not a big leap for them, them to lie about an X-ray, to lie about an ultrasound. I mean, we yeah. we don't have pre- prenatal police out there, right? Monitoring, uh, you know, how far along babies are in the womb. So how are these things even enforceable? Have we essentially spent decades making ourselves feel good by placing restrictions that are Mm -hmm. likely just going to be ignored anyway? What do you think, based on your your experience in the Gosnell case, what does that tell you?
8: Well, I mean, that's a good question. And again, I mean, I'm not a pro-life activist, I'm a journalist, right? Uh, I'm a stranger to the pro-life movement, or I was before I Wrote this book. Let me tell you, my opinions on abortion have, have shifted dramatically. I, I, I'll, I'll say that. Um, that's a it's a very good point. Listen, uh, from from our experience, the regulations are not worth the paper they're written on. Right? They are they they are not worth. I was going to use a word that proper your listeners uh, wouldn't like. So they're just worth nothing. So I, I think you know you, you you make a very good point. Um, you know, you're asking leftist bureaucrats and leftist politicians. And by the way, this happens in Texas, too. There's a doctor in Texas, of deeply red state, who's just doing this. I, used to say, I mean, one thing that I realized after writing this book is that, is, uh, that no one knows what's going on behind the doors of these abortion clinics. So, um, you know, yeah, the regulations are worthless, completely worthless.
0: Tell us about the movie uh, that uh, the, the story is going to become. What do we know so far?
8: Well, the movie is finished. Uh, we tried to get a distributor, and the distributor said, great movie, too controversial for us. You know, such nonsense. But this is a story that the mainstream media don't want to tell. This is a story that the Hollywood establishment don't want to get, to get out there. Uh, but that doesn't matter. We're going to get it out there. The book is going to get out there. I mean, one of our plans, one of our evil plans is to get the book onto so the New York Times bestseller list. So uh, that the New York Times is finally forced to actually have the word Gosnell uh, in their pages. So... Mm. I mean, we're asking people to buy the book, to support. We're actually asking them also buy it, to send a message to the mainstream media. You know, go to gosnellbook.com, order the book, or go into actually with your local bookshop, buy the book, and uh, get it on the New York Times bestseller list. And, and have people in the New York Times have to spit in their coffee as they see what's climbing up the bestseller list. They don't want this story out there. It sends the wrong message, it casts a spotlight, a negative spotlight on abortion. And they don't like it. It
0: sounds like this has had an indelible impact on you. The experience of investigating this
8: case—unbelievable. Uh, Anne, my wife and I were were both changed profoundly by this story uh, in many ways. If you read Anne's preface to the book, uh, you know we were sort of we we, we didn't really understand or you know trust pro-life activists before this, because obviously the photographs were photoshopped and obviously they were exaggerating what was mm-hmm. going on. Let me tell you, any of your listeners out there who don't know what reports, the pro-life activists are not exaggerating. They're not photoshopping. In fact, they're not graphic enough that the pictures we have seen are, are pale into insignificance from uh, those posters that you see outside the clinics. The truth will set you free, and will you know? We need to have a debate about the truth, not about politics.
0: Phelan McAleer, the co-author of the book, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer, and I agree with his sales pitch. Force them to cover this by putting it on the New York Times bestseller list. Phelan, thank you for being on our show tonight. God bless you, brother. Appreciate it.
8: Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Uh, All the best.
0: Take care.
1: listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This
0: is Steve Dace. Wow. I that was some kind of an interview. Not because of the interviewer but because of the subject matter and you can ju you could feel, at least I could feel it talking to him. I don't know what you guys listening to the show and gals tonight thought, but I could just feel in this conversation that this was this was a formative, transcendent moment investigating the Gosnell story for Phelan McAleer, the co-author to the book, uh, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. So as you guys listen to that here tonight, your reaction to listening to uh, the words of Phelan McAleer? Well. Right. Going. Go
3: ahead, Aaron. My first reaction is yes. Gosnell is one of the most prolific serial killers in the United States, but let's not let's not kid ourselves here. There's no difference in what he does and what he did for thirty years than what happens every single day in the United States behind the walls of abortion clinics. There's no difference there's there's a little bit more cray cray with Kermit Gosnell, but every single abortionist is a serial killer. That's that's I mean there's I mean they may not be chopping off babies limbs and keeping them as trophies but they are extinguishing life and they are extinguishing life repeatedly and what do we call those types of people who do that
0: and some of them are chopping off the limbs and selling them and for selling spare parts them.
3: That's, that's what's happening. There's just a little bit more cray-cray. There's just a little bit more disturbing because of uh, some of the stories and the fact that um, this guy was, actually went to, to trial. Um, that, that But this should disturb you um, every single day. It's not just him. It's every single thousands of abortionists in the United States.
2: I was struck by when he said he took the, uh, the story to his wife, and she said, we don't touch that. And then he had to read the transcripts because when I was at the register, I got in a fight over this very issue with the wire editor at the time and our ridiculous lack of coverage at the register. And he tried to tell me, and we did this over email or internal chat or whatever we used, he said, well, it's, it's a local story. And I said do you really want me to go into the archives right now and look at the quote-unquote local stories that you've put on the front page of this paper because it suits your agenda? And he came back to me and said, are you calling me a liar? And I said, that's exactly what I'm calling you. You purposefully keep this away from people because if they saw the bloody godless truth, it would alter their perspective. This is the... Propaganda isn't isn't even... a the right term because it's not strong enough to this garbage that is peddled on the people by omitting these stories from the public consciousness
0: how many people random informed people our age or older if I said the name Ted Bundy would know who that is many how many of I'm how many of I might, if I said son of Sam would know would, would know Jeffrey, that's Dahmer, or, sure. Jeffrey Dahmer Richard Ramirez or his, his, his alter ego the Night Stalker how many would know right how many would know John Wayne Gacy many would Why would they know if those were just local stories? You're right. That's propaganda. And the biggest manifestation of media bias is not even the slant in which they cover the news, but which news they decide to cover at all. John
1: 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.
0: This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Hour number three is underway here on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We're going to play our little weekly game of Buy, Sell, or Hold coming up here at the bottom of the hour. But first, it's time for three questions questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some
1: better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show.
0: It's that time of night when our producer Aaron pulls out the learner's permit says dad let me drive for a while we decide to let him test drive this thing we call radio he gets to ask us any three questions about any three things nothing is off limits he just has to be willing to answer the same questions as well
3: thank you steve Uh, question one we talked about this a little bit earlier when the crawler on a tv reads trump berates australian prime minister what do you think the average american's reaction is probably
0: mine um, because the average American's view of Trump is neither all in or all out. I think the average American's view of Trump is, um, I wanted to vote against Hillary, but I didn't trust him, or I wanted, I, I so dislike Hillary, I'll choose to trust him. Okay. I think that's, that's where the average American's view of Trump is, meaning I don't think they're personally invested one way or another beyond he's a means to an end. Okay. And so if you're in that group, um, that means you're not in the group that is instant, all-time, perpetual freak-out default setting. That means you're not in the group of defend everything, no matter what evidence is suggested to the contrary, defend everything, default setting. It means you're probably in the, until they show me Zapruder film evidence, I'm rolling my eyes and changing the channel, Fault setting, default setting, which is my own, Todd. And that's that was my reaction to this last night.
2: Well, I, I think they think, A... I can totally see Trump doing that. Or B, I can totally see the press
0: lying about it. Well, that it. goes right to That's yes. exactly why you roll your eyes. That's why I said, until you give me... Because I, do I think it's possible? Yeah. Do I think it's possible? They just made... Listen, the AP had a story last night that Trump told the Mexican president we might send our troops in. <laughs> Within the hour. Now, understand the AP is the source of all mainstream yeah. media. It is the Amazon river to the mainstream media. Within an hour, CNN had completely contradicted it. So, if you are, if if you're not, when CNN and AP are at war over Trump, how do you reconcile? You just don't. You just shake your head or you just roll your eyes, Todd, shake your head, change the channel. What time's the game on? Yeah, it's, you don't know what to think. You know, you don't know who's telling the truth.
2: Social media. It, it, the mentality of social media now drives the press, and I saw it. They, they get everything out there as quickly as possible. You, you don't sit on thing and vet it and make sure you got your sources in line. You do that after the fact, and, and you, you know, you apologize later, or you just delete later if you have to.
3: I think the average American's response is um, well, I was going to say my response too, but my, my first response was who the hell cares? I mean, we uh, yeah, they're our ally, but uh, they need us more than we need them. Who cares if uh, Trump is berating them? I mean, uh, I want to see, I want to see somebody, our, I want to see our leader, at least uh, stand up for us. But uh, that, that's neither here nor there, I guess. Uh, question two: Donald Trump is vowing again to destroy the Johnson Amendment. That's the law that restricts political activity in church. It's a phony law. For the weak-kneed churches out there who already use that as a fig leaf, what do you think their first excuse is going to be for not discussing political issues in church if it is repealed? Ah, it's a good question. I, I,
0: I and and you're right. The Johnson Amendment is a fig leaf. I think it's one, maybe two churches ever have lost their nonprofit status for uh, politicizing since it goes back to Lyndon Johnson targeting. Churches as a as president because when he was a senator in Texas they went after him okay Uh, so it's it is a phony law and it's not even a law it's kind of an executive clarification of IRS policy and it's not as if the IRS is known for restraint. All right, so the fact that I think that's maybe two churches ever. In fact, I was, I'm was. i good friends with a pastor here in our home state who was part of a national effort to challenge the IRS about five or six years ago and just openly preach politics from the pulpit, send the sermon in, and then dare them to do something, and they never did. Okay, so so this is not some great victory for religious liberty, guys. All right, it's not. It's symbolic at best. What it really is useful for is what Aaron just said, the ripping off of fig leaves of cowardly pastors, and I will be fascinated to see what their new excuse will be. I'm, I'm guessing they're going to say we don't do politics in the church except when we do. Okay, so uh, I'm, that will be probably what they will lead with. All right, and and you and and you should be prepared for that. So, but that will be the only real change that that uh, getting rid of the Johnson Amendment will accomplish. Is it will it will it will remove a leaf from cowardly pastors and priests, Todd.
2: Yeah, uh, no. Actually, I, the excuse will largely be the same. Mm-hmm. It just won't be the legal backbone of the same responsibility. We'll we, we we can't talk about politics it's in church. To some I've gotten it before. Yes, it's too divisive. Yes, you 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 believe that a man rose from the dead to save you from your sins? You know, you're already out there on a limb. You know, really. <laughs>
3: You believe in sin. That's a,
0: there, that's a, you know what? God bless utilitarianism. There is a certain pragmatism. Every now and then, the utilitarians are right. There is a certain pragmatism, too. So let me get this straight. The core your message is a dead guy walked out of a tomb, rolled a 3,000 pound rock away, and walked out a couple days later after being dead. And you're concerned about not being taken seriously. Yeah. All right. There is this thing. You know what? They, I didn't know Brad Stein was one of our guest, guest hosts on the show because that's right. I have a Brad Stein comedy routine, Todd. Well played. Thank well you very
3: much. Uh, my answer was going to be the same thing as Todd's, and this, this is already there. Uh, it's uh, We don't want to offend people. We want to be, we, we want to be welcoming. We want to be uh, seeker-sensitive, all that type of stuff. That's exactly what the excuse is going to be if it was the Johnson Amendment and legal stuff before. Question three, what's the best and worst pet you ever had?
0: You know, I've had, uh, I mean, the dog we have now, uh, Cap, which is short for Captain America. Uh, the little Bichon is a great dog for the most part. Uh, my first dog that I had when I was a kid, which I named Roscoe, uh, pure cocker spaniel after Roscoe Pico train on uh, Dukes of Hazzard, uh, it was a great dog. And sadly, I had to watch him actually get run over oh. uh, in my own neighborhood. But I think the dog I was the absolute closest with was a pure bl- bred black cocker spaniel we had when I was a teenager that I named Bo after Bo Schimbeckler. And when I went away to college, man, that dog was crushed, crushed. And when I would come back home, the dog would just lose it, even more than the dog your dogs will typically do, right? I mean, he was like beside himself. You know, we just – him and I did a ton of stuff together, you know, so I probably would rank Bo up there. Um, I don't know that I ever had a bad pet because I never did anything odd. I never had a snake, gerbil, hamster – you know um i just had fish which are pretty low maintenance you know they you put the fish in there and you clean out the tank once a week and then they die either in 8 weeks or 8 months and you decide if you want another one uh so i i i, I never really had a bad pet story per se that i can think of
2: uh our current family dog now olive uh a mix of a uh, golden retriever and um chinese sharpei actually is just Fantastic. You let her out in the yard without a, a leash or anything like that. She, does, she comes back. I mean, she just watches as other dogs go by across the street. She's a piece of cake. I had uh, two dogs that I bought. They, they were sisters that I bought even before I m- met my wife. Um, and so they have been gone now for like three and five years, something like that. But one of them, Leia, who I named after Princess Leia. But I, and this worst is a relative term, but she could just... She was a totally free spirit. She was like the teenager that was going to rebel against everything. She was the opposite. There's no way I could take her off ever without a leash. And her sister was a piece of cake. Uh, just she would just take off. So couldn't break her. She was just a little rough.
3: Favorite uh, pets was the uh, Border Collie Australian Shepherd mix that we had. He was uh, he was he was something else. We named him Charmin after the, uh, the, the dog in the Charmin commercial. And then like a year later, I saw a Cottonelle commercial and uh, figured out that we had made a, a bad mistake uh in naming but yeah he would like he'd like sleep on his back and he'd just do really weird things he'd try cap to will
0: do that now i'm told that say that that is a sign of comfort with a dog mm-hmm. when they are when they do that and they just expose themselves like that 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 is a sign that they are totally because we, we looked it up because i'd never had a dog that did that until cap mm-hmm. and because we were like it's a dog there's something wrong with the dog and <laughs> apparently the, the it says it's a sign that the dog is comfortable and immersed in in your home mm-hmm. that he's willing to make himself vulnerable like that
3: yeah yeah he uh, he seemed pretty comfortable we're to pet some rabbits we had, baby rabbits. They kept uh, dying. That's what made them the worst. And that made you sad? That made me sad when I was very young.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. No other show sounds like him, because no other show would dare. This is Steve Days. Now for something
8: completely different, we need to have a talk about. An
1: excursus
4: on natural theology. I
2: prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball.
4: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else?
1: Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive.
0: Will you cut the culture crap and get to the hotel? We gotta get some buzz going. So Let's do it. Let's Let's get some nightly buzz going. Here are some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the evening, which our producer Aaron, after trolling and stalking your social media accounts, that's right, you felt that presence over your shoulder when you were doing NSFW at your job. That was Aaron. That's your boss. That's why you still have a job. He doesn't report you. He copies it, in fact. Yeah. So it, it, it's that guy that is trolling you on social media or at the water cooler with what is trending at the moment. He's got
3: those headlines. We'll react with the hot takes. Probably right. overreact as well. I, I sense your temperature is a little bit warm today. Are you running a fever? Uh, quite, it's a story one, uh, President Donald Trump threatened to defund the University of California, Berkeley, Yes. Following a night of riots and violent protests, Berkeley canceled. Speed a, round. Yes, Berkeley canceled this <laughs> planned speech by alt-right provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos after violence. That's how you pronounce
0: that. I never knew.
3: Okay. Yep. After violence broke out during protests on campus, Trump on uh, this morning called out California Public University on Twitter. Quote: If UC Berkeley does not allow free speech and practices violence on innocent people with a different point of view, no federal funds? Question mark. End quote.
0: Completely agree. Uh, he's exactly right. In fact, you should follow through with a budget that shows it, even if it dies in Congress uh, on reconciliation or negotiation, at least put that in a baseline of a budget to show that he means business. OK, because what happened last night? it's just it just that can't happen in america i'm sorry it can't i don't care what your viewpoint is this is not how we relate to one another the babylon bee has a fantastic headline out today uh, powerful protester rights tolerance on face of manny beats unconscious <laughs> okay i mean you can feel the tolerance palpatine flowing through you when you watch these clips of girls little girls Getting tear gassed and pepper sprayed by protesters way, 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 way out of bounds. This is not a defense of this Milo reprobate who's not my cup of tea at all. But that's why you have freedom of speech, guys. All right. That's the point of all of this. You don't have to agree with everybody to support their right to say it. And that's just, that should not, that's just not how we interact with each other. That's not. An exercise in freedom of speech or tolerance, Todd, that is an act of intolerance and bullying, not to mention destruction of public property. That's just that's just not acceptable. It should not be acceptable in our country. I don't care what your viewpoint is.
2: And and I think he should go all, all the way. We want this connection to federal funding and being on that teat over with get rid of it and you know what people will see that wow cal berkeley didn't go away they're loaded they got all kinds of money i mean let's get this ball rolling
3: next story the u.s military said on wednesday it's looking into whether more civilians were killed in a raid on al-qaeda in yemen on the weekend that's the first operation authorized by president trump as commander-in-chief U.S. Navy SEAL William Owens was killed in the raid on a branch of Al-Qaeda known as AQAP in Baida province, which is the Pentagon said also killed 14 militants. However, medics on the scene said about 30 people, including 10 women and children, were killed the
0: um what i liked about this story is there was some good reporting on cnn actually because it was it was jim acosta who was accosted by the trump team last week uh i he was on right as i was getting ready to do my segment so i heard his whole reporting bit and he pointed out this was actually an operation that the obama administration planned they just could not execute it uh within the time window uh the certain moonlighting that they needed to pull it off. Uh just that window wasn't available, so he couldn't give it the go and President Trump decided to. Uh originally the White House referred to this as a successful operation once they heard about the death of uh of, of Mr. Owens. Uh they decided that uh you know, I mean if we lost a soldier that can't be considered a successful operation. And you saw uh Trump yesterday unannounced jump on Marine One and and uh and go pay his respects. So I wanted to add more context to that story. I-
2: and i hadn't heard that what i had heard is that th- they walked into a quite a hornet's nest that they did not expect now here's where you know if they didn't learn their uh lesson uh hopefully they're going to learn the lessons from benghazi you know it, it was the cover-up it, it, we would not have been talking about it for years and years if it wasn't for that ridiculous tape notion and going on all the shows you know hey it, it, th- things went bad. Mistakes were made. Pe- you know, it, people get the fog of war thing, and they will be mad in the near term, uh, but the, that won't have the momentum like in Benghazi. So what I didn't, uh, I, I don't want any sense of burying. Just explain we got it wrong. Give us all of the facts, and then we can move on, because we get there's bad people who want to kill us, and mm. it, it's not always clean. <sighs>
3: Sarah Silverman has called for a military coup against President Donald Trump. No.
0: <laughs> I'm, uh, no. No. I'll ref- the minute her name comes up, let's put it this way, I'd, it, I'd rather hear more from Rosie O'Donnell. Aaron
2: and I debated about this before the show, because this is the kind of thing that, you, what did Joy Behar say? You know, yeah. we're not going to talk about that. But in light of this happens at the same time as um, Berkeley. You know, we are getting to the point where the... the It's just not words. People are talking about uh, assassination very comfortably on a regular basis. The world is going crazy. And it, yes, she's a comedian, but they are saying things. You're just—they're serious enough. Like okay. when is All when right, are that's things?
0: That's a good point. In, in, in light of what
2: because we saw in if, Berkeley, we
3: yes. did see people seriously try to manifest. Even if they're just about. joking about you know assassinating, which is not something you joke about. But then again, these people have no standards. What they're doing is normalizing in crazy people's head. Oh, assassination, assassination. Uh, uh, before long, uh, just the talk of assassination is normalized in some people's head. Uh, final story, Carol Costello on CNN had this to say in criticism of uh, President Trump's words at the National Prayer Breakfast earlier this morning.
7: He said it is God who gave us life and liberty, uh, not, of course, the, the, the um, you know, mere men who wrote the Constitution and came up with the Constitution in our way of government.
0: This goes to something I have said for years. The bias in the media is not liberal bias. It is secular bias. The liberalism is an, is an outpouring of the secularism, okay, because it, you really can't empower the state as the ultimate authority if you recognize God's ultimate authority. You ha- it, one has to come before the other. Secondly, we, we also have to mistake, oppos- we've also conflated, because that's our word for the year, conflation. We have conflated opposition to American exceptionalism with ignorance of it. And that maybe a lot of what we believe is opposition is really people are ignorant. What you just heard from this woman is ignorance. You know, you'll run into a, you'll run into plenty of honest secularists who know our history and just don't care. And they'll tell you, "I, I don't want to follow your God. I, I, you know, I want to follow me." That's hostility to what we believe. What you hear here is ignorance, and you can tell because she doesn't even have the talking points down right. She is. You can hear the stuttering, the stammering. She's on un, she's on shaky ground. She knows instinctively she's out-kicked her coverage here on live television. And that's an example of ignorance. And that's where we got to win the generation of Americans back to Americanism, talk. And
2: it would have been the, the obvious response there. Okay, let's talk about that mere man you're talking about. Who did they then say? And exactly. it comes right back to the beginning. Exactly. She's so out of her depth. Yep.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve
0: Dace. All right, let's play a little game we like to play every Thursday night called buy sell or hold our producer aaron will put forth a series of hopefully provocative statements on a series of topics and todd and i will decide yeah we're going to buy that selling that no chance and then once a week we're allowed to hold we're allowed to wimp out and say we need a little bit more information before making a call i think last week we didn't even use our hold did we
2: uh, no. We or did I decide to it, maybe no.
0: use mine at the very end because not. it was available? Either I used it at the end or we didn't use it at all. So the goal is to put us on the spot. And this
3: is, uh, this is your turn, Aaron, to put baby in a corner. Thank you, Steve. Uh, first, this comes from listener Damon Eckle. Neil Gorsuch will be strong on religious liberty, but weak on abortion.
0: I'm going to use my hold straight up first, uh, first attempt. My gut tells me the answer to this is buy. Okay? Right? I mean, but, you know, my my gut tells me the answer to this is buy. You know, it's that that scene in The Dark Knight when, is it Chang, the Chinese uh, money manager that all the gangs of Gotham have handled their money? And the Joker walks in and sees him on that screen in the conference, on the closed circuit television and says, I know a squealer. I've 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 seen a squealer and that guy's a squealer. Right. Okay, you know what I'm saying? I liked everything that was done on Tuesday night, but there is a glaring, glaring omission. From everything Mr. Gorsuch said, everything President Trump has said, every everything that's been said since. I may mean, even read a a glowing a glowing profile of Neil Gorsuch in LifeSite News yesterday. And even there they pointed out they're not sure he's a vote against Roe. Just like National Review said we're not really sure. My gut is this will be true. I don't want it to be. Okay? And we know the Democrats are going to make sure that he's on the record in some way shape or form when the confirmation hearings begin. So until we get to that point, I will give him the benefit of the doubt, Todd, and based on the information we have now, I will say hold.
2: I'll keep it short and sweet. I'm saying hold for all the same reasons. Uh, I don't want to be Pollyannish. I refuse to be Pollyannish about this anymore, and I feel like I would be if I said bye. Yeah,
0: I don't want to be poly- Pollyanna. I don't want to be negative Nancy either, so let's just let this thing play itself out. I think based on his record, I don't. you should sleep well at night. He'll be good on religious liberty. I don't think you doubt that at all. Where he's untested is on this.
3: Continued crybaby antics from the left through the first four years of Trump's time in office and really for the first two years, I should uh, omit that, for the first two years of Trump's time in office, will actually result in bigger Republican gains in the midterms.
0: Buy with a caveat. If if I think Eric Erickson's analysis today is correct over at the Resurgent, if they back down on repealing Obamacare, they're going to disappoint their base. They're going to dampen their base turnout. There's no question about that. And even though the Senate map looks like something not even the Republicans could blow, never dare the Republicans to fail. Don't 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 don't, don't ever walk up, right? You know don't don't. Don't put a prostitute alone in a room with a John and say, "I bet you, I bet you can restrain yourself." And don't walk up to the Republican Party and say, "I bet you can't blow that one." Right, don't, don't dare them to try. Right, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory is this party's modus operandi. All right, so even that Senate map it would be hard to blow. But if they, if they blow it on Obamacare, it could possibly. I uh, Go towards that happening, but but you look at the backlash on the other. Do you know how many? I don't even know if this. I heard this Milo guy's got a book coming out, right, or something. Something like that. Do you know yep. how many books those Berkeley those Berkeley idiots sold for that Milo? Whatever that dude's name is. Do you know how many books they sold for him last night? Do you know how much? Do you know how many clicks? Whatever he whatever screed he wrote at Breitbart today. Do you know? Do you know how many clicks that they got for him last night? I mean that that is cash money, homie cash money and you'll see that at the ballot box i mean if you are let's just let's just call it like it is if you're a middle-of-the-road white guy or woman living in pennsylvania ohio michigan and wisconsin and you watch that and you voted for trump after voting for obama and you watch that you and i grew up in these places todd we know what we know what they're thinking i gotta get up and go to work in the damn morning to pay taxes to you idiots all right, so you can stu- so you can get a degree in women's studies and burn your campus down. Hell to the no! I mean, I don't, I don't care if Trump, I don't care what Trump grabs in the White House. If you're going to act like this, I'm sticking it to you. So that is a major factor in this.
2: I'm also buying, broadening it a little bit. The caveat, as long as the, along with Obamacare, as long as the economy, it isn't significantly worse for reasons that are controllable or are not controllable.
0: So we took an entire segment, did two questions. Yeah. That means you did good. Uh, Hey. You're off to a good start. We'll see if, if Aaron can finish well with more buy, sell, or hold next.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve
0: Dace. All right, let's play a little more Buy, Sell, or Hold. I've already used my hold, so I've got to take a stand, righteous or otherwise, the rest of the way. Todd still has his.
3: Next one. If Donald Trump has the chance to nominate a second justice for the Supreme Court of his uh, time in office, he will try to appoint an avowed leftist. Oh, I'm going to sell that.
0: I don't think there's any chance of that. I don't. I, I don't. Um, I, I think there's good news and bad news with the conservative legal industry. I think that it is improved to the point that David Souter types are just not there anymore. Um but I I also think that it is stalled out in its core philosophy, that it, it it's improved its baseline of ideologically. But I don't think it's moved. I I think it's stalled out at actually moving closer to a constitutional view of the law, meaning limited jurisdictions of courts, those, those sorts of things. I think there's still too much legal positivism going on, but I don't I don't believe you would get a leftist. I don't believe you'd get a David Souter. Do I think that this might be where you get your Thomas Hardiman? Uh, to avoid a you know to avoid a political bloodbath and my sister likes him and he's slightly to the left of John Roberts do I think that's possible? You bet I do. That's why I think this appointment is so cotton picking important. Okay, because I do think that that's and I even said that on CNN yesterday. The real fight, Todd, is going to be the next one. This is the fake fight, and and some blood will be drawn, but it's largely just kind of you know like cat scratch fever. All right, the real where punches will be thrown. You know, not shadow boxing. Where the real punches will be thrown is the next one, because that's the fifth vote on a lot of these issues, not just Roe. And that's where I could see Trump decide, hey, let's live to fight another day. But even in that case, I don't think it would be suit or bad. I just think it would be somebody that'd be Roberts or slightly worse.
2: Yeah, I'm absolutely selling. I think he will um, probably rely. Whoever Gorsuch turns out to be, he'll, he's at least going to come in. Uh, at level, I have wrestled with the same thing—a uh, hardiman or something like that—and falling prey to notions of well, maybe the Supreme Court's supposed to be, you know, have a mix of ideas. But I think just Trump's attitude, the left isn't going to—the last question isn't going to take its foot off the gas. It's going to be hysterical, and at the very least, we can rely on Trump trolling with these selections. Hmm.
3: White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer will take a question via Snapchat during his time as press secretary at least once. Tell me why you asked this. Why, what's provocative about this? Why earlier, it earlier this week, he took a question via Skype, and that's a first.
0: Uh, okay. I, I mean, I don't know why that would be that big of a deal. You know? I mean, so, Yes. I think that's an easy buy. I don't. I don't know why that's a why there would be any hesitation about using those technological innovations, Todd.
2: But yeah, that's just. I'm buying. That's just like debates. I mean, look, we're taking this question from Twitter or whatever. Right. That is the way
3: things are going. Betsy DeVos will not be secretary of education. So I think this was
0: settled yesterday. She has. They're they're holding off sessions. Uh, nomination so that he can be the 50th vote and he was then you have mike pence come in and break a tie i think she will end up being secretary of education it'll be a 51 it'll be a van halen vote 51 50 as do i And so much for the sisterhood huh the gals holding out on her well you know what i mean the 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 republican party could have had joe miller my buddy joe miller in there seven years ago because all you got to do is win the republican nomination in alaska and you win Okay. So, so this isn't a case where the conservatives won the Delaware Senate primary. He's too far to the right to win. This is Alaska, guys. One of the most reliably Republican states in the union. Okay. So Joe Miller won the primary, beat her fair and square. They, how Republican is the state? The top two finishers in the Senate race that year were Miller and Lisa Murkowski by write-in ballot. So the party machine decided they'd rather have Murkowski. And she she went in and screwed them yesterday. And Susan Collins, that's all she does. Now, I'm not a party person. I'm not even a Republican, but I am a credibility person. When you have a party that has a platform, and that is your mission statement, that's your covenants with your members, and you consistently allow people who violate those covenants, if Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins thinks that's what their constituents want, fine, then run in the other party who, who that's what they're for. But you're, you're, you're practicing fraud against people that represent you when you consistently go against what they signed up for. If that's, you don't have to like what the Republican party stands for and that's fine. There's another party. Cool. Or don't join any party. But it's, there's no credibility or dignity. And I'm not talking an issue two here or an issue two or three here. These two women systemically disagree with why people become Republicans. And they—if I were running the Republican Party, they—I I would have told them this morning: You're never getting a red cent from the NRSC ever again. You're totally on your own, and you, you're welcome to vote any way you want,
3: and so are we. Did you uh, answer that, uh, Todd? No, I'm divorced. We're, we're in, sh- lock, in lockstep. All we right. are
2: sharing the same wavelength today. Without a, a,
3: doubt. a team that finished in the bottom half of the league last season in Major League Baseball will make it to the league championship series come October, whether that's American or National.
0: The bottom half of the standings, you mean? Yep. Uh, I'm going to say sell on that. You know, we haven't started spring training yet. That's a little. It's a few days away or a couple weeks away. But what I'm trying to remember, it's so odd as you get older. I can like remember what happened in free agency in 1993 more than I can remember what happened like four months ago. Okay. But as I recall, I don't know that too many teams made a leap from dramatically improving where they were. I I think a lot of the teams that were already strong, uh, got stronger. Uh, so I, I, don't think we're going to see that. You know, there wasn't a big market team that had a terrible season like a Yankees or a Red Sox who the Red Sox had a terrible year two years ago and were able to instantly bounce back because they were able to put in the payroll. I don't see that team either. You look at the teams that, you know, Cleveland, I think, will be strong again, got a little bit better. I think Chicago will be strong again. Uh, the Cubs, I mean. So I, I don't see a team out there that will radically improve, uh, and, and make it maybe I, one will. One will do it and maybe get a wild card, but get to the league championship series, meaning win around in the playoffs, I don't see it.
2: I'll buy because we've been
3: the exact same
2: answer. So yeah, let's 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 vote for the little guy. Go get him, Tiger.
3: Uh NBC's new version of The Apprentice starring Arnold Schwarzenegger will be canceled after its first season, and Donald Trump will tweet a lot of tweets about it.
0: I'm buying that. I mean I'm looking at the ratings and what's going on. I, at this point, I think the only reason NBC would keep it would be out of spite just to avoid that that 's a hefty price tag for spite, okay, especially when you 're paying Megan Kelly twenty million and you think enough of her that you 're clearing out people to make room for her to have an hour every morning after the today show so i 'm buying that talk
2: no'm i 'm selling and there's it 's just going to be a different host and they 're going to go
0: somebody like Howard Stern or somebody way edgier. Which he would just do the same anyway. If they Mm -hmm. rebrand, he's going to call that a win, too. But you might be right about that.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. This is Steve Dace.
0: All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We've come to the end of tonight's program. It's time to take a look back. What did we learn here this evening? Todd, you'll start. What did you learn here tonight?
2: Well, we've had uh, Andy Schlafly on the show to talk about uh, Gorsuch several times, and based on everything we've heard from the punditry, uh, Andy's out there on a limb kind of uh, by himself. They're skeptics, but not flat-out doubters like he seems to be. But an analysis of uh, the Church of Gorsuch is an entirely legitimate enterprise mm-hmm. that set aside the specifics what you know about Gorsuch. If you didn't know specifics, you said the— quote-unquote conservative guy is coming from this uh, particular denomination and this particular version of that denomination, you'd be very, very wise to say, hmm, something doesn't seem right here.
3: Yeah, going back to uh, our two conversation with uh, Meg Meeker, it is it is nice to read these stories about uh, people like Tom Brady, who has, it seems like forever, in eternity, that he's just been at the zenith of his career. And yet he still gets, I mean, he is the most, um, one of the most successful, if not the most successful. Um, person at the hardest position, most important position in the most manliest sports, in the most uh, popular sport in the United States. And yet he gets a little teary eyed when he talks about his dad being his hero. Those are the types of stories that you don't hear a lot about. Instead, you get stories about Donald Trump berating the Australian Prime Minister. Allegedly. A- allegedly. And, um, th- th- those are the things that we, um, I think we need to bring to the forefront more, uh, more often because it does show you. It does show you that there is again something worth fighting for in the soul of America. That the, that the, not all fathers, not uh, not all fathers are are bad, but there are some out there that are uh, still mean a lot to um, to people in my generation and Tom Brady's generation as well. Those types of stories are, are always good to hear.
0: Indeed, they are, and uh, unfortunately, they don't fit a narrative. Yeah, uh, and that's why they don't often get promoted as much as how dare Tom Brady have the president of the United States, as his friend. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, the, uh, the back and forth LeBron James and Charles Barkley had this week. <laughs> I, I w- one aspect of it I was fascinated by is one of the things LeBron chose to blast, b- blast back at Barkley is when he said, I never said I'm not a role model like he did. I found that be I found that to be interesting because I remember when that commercial aired when we were younger and the big debate about that right because some people took that in the context of well athletes shouldn't be role models your parents should be well 25 years later a lot of people don't have parents worthy of being role models sadly you know so it means something different in LeBron James's millennial generation which is yours Aaron mm-hmm. than it, than the debate we were having about that commercial back in Generation X but but I found it refreshing that LeBron wanted to take up the mantle. Of being a role model and wanted to criticize somebody else who wasn't willing to bear that responsibility. See, those are things that we need to be highlighting, I think, more often. John three 17.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace.